Good afternoon, audience. Welcome back to another edition of Restaurant Magic. I am the hotness. And I'm Sweetly. And we are true foodies. We love to talk to people who have their own restaurants, culinary artists, food trucks, caterers, anything associated with food. People who love food, we just want to be involved with them. And today we have joining us Mrs. Clemens and her daughter Lydia of the Clemens Family Farm. And correct me, Lydia, where are we at? Charlotte, Vermont. <laughs> Charlotte, Vermont. I got it right. And so um, they have a farm in um, Charlotte, Vermont called Clemens Family Farm. And we would just love to talk to them because they have so much knowledge and information that should be shared with the audience. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. Okay. And here we're sitting right in Lydia's living room. And we have just been having a wonderful time here. We arrived here Friday and we have been experiencing farm life and the beautiful scenery is just beautiful beautiful the foliage and I just I can't explain it but more better than that we have Mrs. Clemens here who is going to tell us a little bit about how they got to the farm and how farming started with them. So Mrs. Clemens how did you end up in Vermont? Uh, quite by accident we uh, my husband was had finished his get uh, his doctorate degree MD at Western Reserve University in Cleveland Ohio and while we were there, we had made friends with a, a classmate of his who also was finishing his degree. Uh, these people were f their family, and they hoped to return to Manhattan in New York City. We had gone on a honeymoon trip uh, through the uh, Northwest, and we went through Seattle, Washington, and found it such a beautiful city, we thought we'd like to live here. So uh, when he finished his, my husband finished his residency in pathology, we thought we'd go to Seattle, Washington, and the people from New York thought that would be, uh, you know, no, let's go to Vermont. And we said, okay, we'll go to Vermont. Well, we came to uh, Vermont to visit a friend, and Jack was offered a position here, but we kept remembering Seattle, Washington. So, but we didn't go, we accepted the position in Vermont. The people who wanted to go to Seattle, Washington went on to Seattle, and now they have forgiven us, but at first they said we were traitors. <laughs> <laughs> because they wanted to live in Vermont, the worst kind of way to be near their families in New York. Right. But. It turned out to be a happy ending because they bought a beautiful horse farm in Seattle and we bought a farm growing mostly hay in Vermont. <laughs> and so I know that you're <laughs> Five children, is that five correct? Five children, yes. Now, how was it raising five children on a farm in Vermont? Well, somehow, uh, I believe in guardian angels. So when, when we were first married, I just had a vision that we would have five children. And sure enough, we did. Four girls and one boy. And it was wonderful. The farming was mostly haying and uh, family use gardening, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. But the only commercial thing was hay. So it was it was doable, as they say. Well, tell them about your, your garden. My garden? Mm -hmm. My garden, I forgot, I can't tell you the distance, but it was great. Uh, I will tell you I had a hundred tomato plants. Oh, so whoa. you can know what size garden I had. Huge. And we, <laughs> we grew corn, green peas. I had, I remember I harvested 50 pounds of green peas, mm -hmm. called English peas, you know. Okay. We had pumpkins that were just the most beautiful sight. And I remember I took my daughter out who wasn't feeling well to the garden one day just before Halloween to see the beautiful pumpkins. Mm -hmm. Well, we gathered all the pumpkins and put them in 
in our front yard, probably at least 50 or 60. Mm. Uh, we had Chesapeake dogs, but that night they were all in the house. During the night, some pranksters came and removed all the pumpkins. Oh no. Took all the pumpkins, and I'm sure they were teenagers. Yes. Because in those days, people were doing crazy things. Mm -hmm. But they took all the pumpkins anyway. Wow. <laughs> So. so I always vision farm life as getting up at like 4 o'clock in the morning and just getting ready to plow and um, harvest things that, you know, once they're harvested and, and pick those up. Is that how farming went? And how are they well, are getting up at like 4 and 3 in the morning to do this stuff with going to school? Well, uh, we only did hay mm -hmm. for animals, so that was seasonal. So he could easily, you know, do his work. Uh, he had completed his work at school in, in Cleveland, so this time he was a professional at the University of Vermont, so he could easily, you know, <laughs> put that, fit that into his schedule. Gardening, as I say, a woman's work is never done, and mm -hmm. a man's work is son to son. Well, yeah. that's the way it is. Right. <laughs> also on farm life for women. The gardening, I would get up at sunrise, which was 5 o'clock in the mm -hmm. morning, and I could tell the time by the sun. I knew when it was uh, 7 o'clock because I needed to go in and wake up the children and get them ready for school. So I could tell it exactly by the sun. I've lost that skill. I mean, I'm trying to get yeah. back again. Wow. Uh, but the gardening was easier during the planting and the weeding than mm -hmm. it was at harvest time. Because yeah. at harvest time, you have to be ready. And I had uh, tomatoes in every form you wanted to imagine. Wow. And they lasted from harvesting season to the next planting season. Mm -hmm. And also all the vegetables we had. Uh, 50 pounds of green English peas mm -hmm. that were harvested, and chickens and pigs. How did you? How did they last from one season to the next month? Enough in in canned goods. You can them in jars, in fruit jars, mm -hmm. and they lasted from one harvest to the other. So that was in today's world. It we it was the winter was very relaxed. It was though we had a supermarket in our kitchen. Yeah. Uh, in today's world, they're saying you should have enough supplies to last a week in case there's a hurricane or mm -hmm. something that happens. Snowed in. Yeah, <laughs> snowed in. <laughs> so people try to keep enough canned goods from the supermarket on hand. But back then, that was normal for you to have. It was that normal. Of food. Not only me, but most of my neighbors had gardens. So we all had enough food. In any disaster that came along, we all had enough food in there. Yes. We picked wild grapes and made grape jelly. Yeah. And I tried making grape wine. Once. Oh, please. That didn't work oh. out. <laughs> oh, wait, audience. We have to come. You know, that she caught my attention. Yeah. So I got to hear more about this wine. But before we do, we're going to take a quick commercial break to find out what really happened with this great wine that Mrs. Clemens tried to make. Because I got to hear all about it. <laughs> we'll be right back. When will I get married? Waiting can never be easy. Whether it's waiting on a taxi or a job promotion, it can be difficult. When it comes to waiting on Mr. Right, aka Boaz, it becomes even more challenging to wait while you're single. In this lighthearted book, Where's Boaz? I don't know, I'm tired of kissing frogs too. Best-selling author, Nevada York, offers suggestions based on the Bible's great love story of Ruth and Boaz and from her own experience of waiting on God. You will learn the attributes of Ruth and use the Ruth Reality Chart to do a self-check on your own attributes. Nevada also shares the 10-step plan that Ruth followed to win her Boaz. Obedience and being a blessing plays a key role. 
Trust the Lord and His timing. Make your season of singleness ruth-defining. Order Nevada York's latest book, Where's Boaz? I don't know. I'm tired of kissing frogs too. Available on Amazon.com in paperback and Kindle. My name is Jimmy Davies, and I'm the owner of the Every.Black family of websites. I created EveryBlackEntrepreneur.com because we must become entrepreneurs, and we have to use technology to level the playing field. We support our members by highlighting them in a weekly email announcement. We create a monthly directory where every member has a full-page display. One of the largest advantages of joining the Every.Black family is the ability to network with all of the other members. We have also partnered with the Truth Network to provide a 10% discount for anyone joining and using the discount code of TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, when signing up. Go to everyblackentrepreneur.com. Click on the sign up button and join today. You can reach us at 919-265-8045. Sign up today and join the movement to achieve economic freedom. Welcome back, audience. You're here with the hotness and sweetly. We are joined with Mrs. Clemens and her lovely daughter, Lydia, and Dr. Clemens. And before we went to commercial break, Mrs. Clemens, you were sharing with us your experience in gardening. And you said that you tried to make some wine with the grapes that you had. So what really happened when you tried to make this wine? Well, I was making, I had uh, harvested from along the fence rows enough grape to make grape wines. And I had them fermenting in a big uh, crop. And I was also, the women in Charlotte had applied for a membership in the League of Women Voters. And they were scheduled to meet at our house. And they came just about the time that the fermented wine broke out of its container. And wine was smelling all over the kitchen as the wine was pouring out of the container. It had really, yeah, it had really fermented. Yes. Wow. Like explode and it all pop all over the kitchen. Because I wasn't, I probably kept it too covered or something. But the whole kitchen tight. You supposed to have those lids loose. Yes, and the whole kitchen smelled of wine just as I was applying for Charlotte women to have a membership in the League of Women So they came in and all they smelled was the aroma. Yeah, yeah, they're like, uh oh, Miss Clemens, she's doing what she got going on we don't here. Know about you, not a responsible <laughs> woman to be voting. Well, Mrs. Clemens, what other foods did you make with all your vegetables? Uh, Is it a special dish that you did for the kids? I made a pizza sauce, of course, because pizza was very popular. I think oh. we were all just getting used to making pizza at home. Mm-hmm. So I made pizza sauce, spaghetti sauce, canned pears, making uh, pear preserves. We had large fruit trees. Mm. Uh-huh. Applesauce. I never knew people bought applesauce because they had jars of applesauce. It's pickles, all kinds of pickles. Mm-hmm. Beets, especially pickled beets. My favorite. Yes, my favorite. And beet. beet greens and kale. We grow a lot of kale. We froze the kale in the freezer. Mm. Wow. Uh, we had two, uh, we had a, my, one of my daughters next to the youngest. I loved one pig, especially. Mm. And she named him, uh, what she named Napoleon. Napoleon. And so I sent Napoleon to be butchered. So she wanted to know what happened to Napoleon. Oh, wow. And I just said we exchanged him. Okay. <laughs> okay. That, that's safe. <laughs> I, you know. once, once I went to the barn, we had dogs, and they were not necessarily female dogs controlled. So the dog, female dog had had puppies in the barn. 
and there were also baby pigs. Mm -hmm. And I went out to the barn one day, and there were the puppies, and the baby pigs had gotten a hold of a piece of baling twine, uh -huh. and they were playing tug of war. The pigs wow. were holding one in and the puppies the we're other. The other. <laughs> that was just. Like that sounds like from the movie Babe or something. Yeah. It's oh, like. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's just like. They didn't know they were not supposed to be friends. Right, <laughs> yeah. They were babies and they were happy. Just having a blast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask Lydia, with your mom's gardening, what was your favorite meal or, you know, um, canning thing that she did that was your favorite? I just. It wasn't the prepared food. I just remember the shelling of the peas. Mm. And we'd probably eat as many of those fresh peas mm -hmm. as we actually preserved because right. they were so good, yeah. popping them out of the shell and then just eating them raw. That was delicious. Yeah. Wow. But meals, I think my favorite was the gumbo. And I don't know, we grew, did we grow okra? Pardon? Did we grow okra? We must have grown Oh, okra. yes, we grew okra, lots of okra. So it was the gumbo. Okay. okay. That was mm -hmm. my favorite, I think, which mom would make every after Thanksgiving yep. with the leftover turkey yes. bones. That's right. And oh, then she'd add stock. in uh, the yep, she'd mm -hmm. add in the crab and the shrimp and filet and okra and Oh wow. Oh my god, it was so good. I don't yeah. even know what else you put in there. Well, we we put dried we put fresh shrimp as well as dried shrimp mm -hmm. and clams. Mm -hmm. And uh Crab meat, I remember you put in. What? Crab meat. Oh, crab meat, not yeah. clams, crab meat is yeah. what I mean, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that was it, and the broth was left over from the Thanksgiving turkey, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay. God, it was good. Now, I've always oh, heard about our roux. When you're making oh, this? Roux. Yeah, that's yes. a, a thickening. Yes, tell us about flour. that. How do you make roux, Mrs. Well, Clements? Well, if you want roux in it, you uh, brown the flour a little bit in a skillet, you know, mm -hmm. and then just add the chicken broth okay. and cook it, and then you add it to the, the gumbo so it's not thin and watery. Okay, so but nice. a little, like it's like a yes. thickener. Probably a Louisiana recipe more than, mm -hmm. at least from my part, of my mother's part of Louisiana. Okay. Yeah. Now, Lydia, what is your take about being raised on a farm? I loved it. And I remember my job was mostly in the big barn with the animals. And so I'd have to get up really early in the morning, I don't know what time, to make sure everybody got fed. And the best part of my day would be opening up those big double barn doors. You guys didn't get a chance to get over there, but huge doors. You just heave them open as a little girl, you know, in grade school and then being greeted by the chorus of animals inside who were mm -hmm. thrilled because mm. that meant breakfast yep, was coming. Yeah, to eat. What and kind so of there were horses, cows, chickens, pigs, ducks. Yes, we did have some ducks. Sheep, but, uh, and everybody had their language, you mm -hmm. know, to say good morning and thank God yeah. food is here. Yeah. <laughs> and so it would be just this cacophony of the nays and the mama and the everything and it was just loud and everybody was really happy in that barn because food was here and so i love that so you had to get up at what time before school started so well yeah you you have five o'clock you probably get up five yeah because you had a pony also yeah i had a horse and a pony so then after feeding you would have to come in and get ready for school and i get ready for school and then after school it would be cleaning out the stalls or letting the animals out the horses I'd take them out to ride them or mm -hmm. something um, yeah and feeding them again in the afternoon 
It was a lot of fun. And the horses would always get out when they were out in pasture. They'd always mm-hmm. somehow get out from the fencing and be all over Charlotte. Wow. I'd have to go chasing the after them. Galloping around, yes, huh? running. Horse on the loose. They'd always get out. The pony especially was a master at getting out of the fencing. He could get out of anything. Wow. So often, really early in the morning, before I even fed the animals, I'd have to go chase a horse yeah. somewhere, go look for a horse who might be way away miles away remember you saw him across the highway and you Mm -hmm. said you were so mad with him she said he pretends he's afraid of cars and then he's gonna cross route (laughs) seven he's not afraid of cars because he crosses streets (laughs) and i also loved the haying because i got to drive the tractor and the first was cutting the hay and then mowing the hay and then you'd let it dry you'd rake the hay and then how do you get it into that that shape of that i guess the rolls are a the newer rolls. technology when uh-huh. we were kids it was the square bale mm-hmm. so you use baling twine and there's a machine that compacts the hay into squares and then bales it automatically okay. and the square bales are shot out of the back towards wow. the wagon and back of the the, the mower mm-hmm. uh-huh. And the baler, and somebody would be on the back, standing on the back of the wagon. Usually, my brother and my dad, or some high school kids from the community, mm-hmm. and I'd get, I'd be the one who got to dro- drive the tractor, <laughs> oh, and yeah. they'd be the ones stacking the bales in the back. So you were calling the shots. Yeah, well, yeah, it was pretty fun. <laughs> I loved that, but I especially loved before the the haying itself was just the mowing or the raking, because then it's just me on a tractor with the equipment. And I'd be out there on that whole big property, just a girl on a tractor mm-hmm. under the big blue sky, all by myself, driving all this great equipment. It was beautiful. Yeah, it was beautiful. You know, audience, Lydia Spears, we've seen her in action, and she is just like moving at, you know, what the speed of light. And um, we're going to take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, I'm going to ask Lydia the um, importance of preserving, you know, her family's family's legacy of the Clemens family farm. We'll be right back. Hey girl, that's a nice t-shirt you're wearing. Where did you get it? I got it from teamjesusclothing.com. Really? I like the messaging and the colors. They're so vibrant. Yes, teamjesusclothing.com has a lot of t-shirts and hoodies with encouraging messages. They have styles for both men and women. Wow, thanks for letting me know. I'm going to teamjesusclothing.com to place my order now. Yes, definitely go to teamjesusclothing.com and be sure to check out my favorite shirt designs, Team Jesus and Won't He Do It. I can't wait. Teamjesusclothing.com, here I come. Welcome back, audience. We're here with Mrs. Clemens and Lydia of the Clemens Family Farm. And before I went to commercial break, I wanted to ask Lydia about the importance of preserving your family's legacy and how important this farm is to you because it's it's a rarity because, you know, we're African-Americans and it's not very many of us owning farmland. So can you share with the audience the importance of what you're doing? Sure. Um, Like everybody in the family, I'll start with a story. And my story with the relationship with the farm. I've told you a bit about our farming when I was a kid, but when I was getting ready to go to college, like many young people who grew up on a farm, I wanted to get off the farm and Mm -hmm. go as far away as I could. Mm -hmm. So my choice of colleges was really based on geography. I looked at the map and I asked my parents, what's in California? What schools are in California? Mm -hmm. And that guided my choice to go to California. And then from California, I wound up after college there going to the Peace Corps and started a wonderful 35-year career in Africa. 
still as far away from a farm as I could get. Mm -hmm. was not looking back. I was thrilled with my work in Africa and public health. I was having a great time. And I'd come back to visit the family on the farm a couple times a year over the span of 35 years. Um, but about six years ago when I came back, my son was at the time about nine. He'd been living with me in Africa all over the place, and I thought it was time to come back for him to really know Vermont and know the farm and know the family. And there was a conversation going on in the family about let's sell the farm because that is inevitably the conversation farming families will have mm -hmm. um, when the folks who bought the farm, the parents, grow older and the kids leave the farm, often, often that's the case, is that farming families will wind up selling the farm. They right. will always have that conversation, what do we do with the farm? And these days, farms are not self-sustaining. It's very rare to have a farm who's just going to be able to sustain itself from agriculture alone. Mm -hmm. Most farms have to be supplemented by some other kind of revenue. And that's always been the case for our family farm. We had professionals in the family who always contributed to help the farm pay the property taxes and the operating costs for the farm. So the conversation became, what do we do at the farm? And being a researcher, I have a PhD, I do a lot of research in Africa. Um, I wanted to first research and find out, well, what have we got first? You know, real estate values, all kinds of things I was looking at. Markets for, for farming and sales and all of that. And I fell upon African-American land ownership as one of the areas that I wanted to research. And I was horrified. Mm -hmm. I had not known about the statistics. Right. When my parents were born in the 1920s, African-Americans owned 44, or about 44 million acres of land nationwide. Mm -hmm. Today, it's 3.5 million of acres. That represents a 93% loss mm -hmm. of our people's land assets nationwide. 93% of our land assets have been lost. 0.4% of all farms in the nation are African American owned. Half of 1%. And in Vermont, which is 94.5% white, mm -hmm. to have an African American owned farm that's 148 acres is, is just it's unheard of. Mm -hmm. And so the more I started researching about African American land ownership and loss, um, the very the rare fact that there are just so few African-American-owned farms in the nation. Most of those, if they are there, are southern. They're based in the south. Mm -hmm. New England-owned farms by African-American, there are a few sprinkles of them. Right. But this farm is so unique, as you've seen, between the land and the historic buildings. Mm -hmm. And also the legacy, the story of our parents and how they came here and just breaking all social expectations about what people should be doing in their time in the 60s when they bought the property. And this farm, <coughs> um, they came in 1962? 1962, at a time when African Americans were not thinking about mm -hmm. land ownership or farming. Exactly. Especially not for an African American so doctor you guys and nurse. broke a barrier. Lots of barriers. Yes. Um, race barriers, social standing, status, their expectations. A doctor and a nurse should be living in a rural, an urban area doing their doctor and nursing. Why are they in a farm in Vermont, mm -hmm. you know? So the more I researched, the more I said, we can't let go of this. Yeah. It's too important, not just for the family, but for the community and for the nation, because it's so rare. The ownership of land is rare, and holding on to that is an African-American-owned land, land asset, and also what we're doing with the farm, which is preserving the farm as a place for all people, African-American and white American or green American, mm -hmm. whatever color you are, to come and learn about African-American heritage, art, and culture. Especially in today's world, there's so much talk about the negative aspects of 
African-American mm -hmm. life and experience. Mm -hmm. And yet there's so much to celebrate, our art, our culture, our history, our literature, our scholars, the achievements that we've had. And that's not enough in today's conversation. The negative aspects of what's happening to us as a people, those are very important conversations to have. And yet in, in those conversations about oppression, we can't forget the other conversations about the success and the achievements and the things we should be celebrating and holding up. In spite of all that has happened to us as a people, we have triumphed. We have so many things to be um, to be proud of, mm -hmm. and that farm, this farm, is, is part of that story. And uh, welcoming everybody here, regardless of race, to learn about that story and to celebrate the arts and culture, but especially for African-American people. Right. How many of us have had the opportunity to walk on African-American-owned land, mm -hmm. and African-American-owned land that's actually for the public to enjoy? It's so rare. Yeah. It's extremely rare, and we're just so appreciative of um, you and your family granting us this experience. So before we let you go, please share with the audience, you know, your um, website information so they can figure out how they can help donate to your farm and help, you know, sustain and preserve your family's legacy. Thank you. We'd be so grateful for that. Um, the website is clemensfamilyfarm.org, www.clemens, C-L-E-M-M-O-N-S, familyfarm.org. Just cl uh, Google Clemens Vermont and we'll pop right up. You can donate in three ways. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible donation, you'll find a donate button on the website and you can donate through our fiscal sponsor, Burlington City Arts, which is a nonprofit organization give the money to them and just say it's for the Clemens family farm and you, you can write that off of your taxes that your taxes hey. don't have you can reduce your taxes and give it to us instead mm -hmm. um, another way is to just write a check to the Clemens family farm and mail it to 2158 Greenbush Road in Charlotte Vermont not Charlotte <laughs> Charlotte Vermont <laughs> um, I think those are the two main ways um, but look on the website and there's information about how you can donate to the Clemens family farm or just come on by and also another way to donate is when we open again in May come enjoy some of our events many of them are free but we ask for donations and that's so helpful to us so we really appreciate it well thank you we've been just enjoying the beautifulness of Vermont and your lovely family yes and we even got to see some snow but before we leave listeners we'd like to have Mrs. Clements um, just say a little bit about everything that she has accomplished but we're looking like we're going to have to wrap it up right now so what would your last words be mrs clemens a last word yeah well first of all i don't uh, attribute our getting this land and all to our own uh, mental or physical resources i am a person who believes in guardian angels and i have complete evidence of my belief and i think that's why we were led to this farm and not through our own wisdom and vision but because of our guardian angels we managed to buy it wonderful well thank god for those guardian angels now listen listeners this has been sweetly and the hotness checking out what the clemens family farm was all about and it has been fabulous laws be black and white? Doesn't everyone deserve the same treatment? For 15-year-old Gemini Berry, the answers are obvious. 
But then a crime shocks Gemini's small town and she learns that many adults see things in shades of gray. In Mika Chanel's novel, Just As the Sky is Blue, Gemini Berry is forced to grow up fast when her mother agrees to play a central role in a sensational murder trial that tears her small town apart. As the trial spins out of control, secrets are revealed and old debts are settled and Gemini's life is ultimately changed forever. Order Mika Chanel's book, Just As the Sky is Blue. Just As the Sky is Blue is available on Amazon.com, Kindle, and Audible.com.